Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My guest today is uh, Mr. Dan Klein from Seven Investing Podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, what, what got you interested in trading and uh, stocks? Yeah, so I think of it as investing, not trading. We are long-term buy and hold. So we recommend anything we tell you to buy, you want to hold it for at least three to five years. I've sold one stock in the past six years. So there's almost no trading going on. For me, it was a slow ascent. Uh, I was a, a journalist for a long time. And I sort of accidentally got involved in business journalism. I was unemployed or, or freelancing and I got hired for a job at Microsoft. And when I took the job, they couldn't tell me what it was. Uh, it was sort of a secret project. And it turned out that I was the launch editor of what became the MSN Money app, which is now all done by robots, but at the time was done by people. Uh, and I was the guy who picked business stories, financial stories that you saw on that really popular app. From there, I ended up at the Boston Globe, where I ran the business desk at boston.com, also not a thing right now, uh, but I was writing for the paper. And then I ended up working for The Motley Fool, where I was for six years, uh, doing everything from a ton of writing to appearing on podcasts. And then the opportunity came along to join 7investing. What is 7investing? Uh, we are a small company that uh, we're a, a subscription-based service that sells our seven best picks. Each one of us, there are seven of us, makes our highest conviction pick each month. We do a nice write-up on it. We record a video where the other people get to ask us questions. We do all sorts of members-only stuff. And of course, I host a Monday, Wednesday, Friday live stream, a television show basically, uh, called Seven Investing Now that's very, very interactive. So my whole career sort of built to this moment and it's really exciting. So you have a podcast as well. What, what is the podcast about? You have guests or is it just your, you said, your guys talking about? No, so, so, so we do two different things. And you could find all of these uh, at 7investing.com. There's a podcast button and a live stream button. On the podcast, we're generally doing longer form interviews. So it might be two of us. It might be us and an outside person. Um, it, so it's some combination of that. It might be maybe one of us attended a, a major conference, of course, virtually at the moment. Uh, and we do an interview there. So that's part of it. And then on the live stream, we usually do a format where we talk about the biggest story of the day, but from a long-term investing point of view. And then we might do a segment where we take your questions. We might do a segment where we talk about, you know, investing things like when do you sell a stock or how many stocks should be in your portfolio. We're trying to democratize investing. We, we've heard all this recently. We're going to talk about this when we get to GameStop. The little guy has no chance. Right, yeah. yeah. The little guy has no chance day trading. Robots are going to beat you day trading. The one advantage the little guy has is time. And Warren Buffett always talks about it, that his style is boring. And he's right. Our style is boring. If I tell you to buy Costco stock 
and wait for 10 years, well, Costco is an elephant walking up a hill. It's going to very slowly get there. It's going to pay you a nice dividend that you can reinvest along the way. So we want the person, look, we'd love the, the rich guy who's putting big money in, but I want the guy who's young or older and just starting out putting in 50, 100, 500, whatever the number is that really want has a goal, retirement or pay for college or buy a house in 10 years. And that's sort of the person we're cheering along and we're trying to make it fun, but we're not making a thousand trades. And you know what? If you buy Microsoft stock, at some point it's going to go down 20%. You know what you shouldn't do? Sell it because it's going to recover. If you pull out the 10-year chart of any good company, you're going to see these 20%, 50% dips. So we do things like explain to you why you don't use a stop loss order. When people use a stop loss, you end up selling out of good stocks and then maybe you can't buy back in. So a lot of calm, especially now when the market is very, very volatile. Like we pulled all of our advertising that was based on our returns because our returns are better than we actually are right now because the market is crazy. So we joke that we're good, but we're not this good because I've picked a couple of stocks that are up like 50, 60% in three months. And it's because everything I said would happen in the next five years has already happened because of the pandemic. So that's when we sort of look at things and say, okay, what's going to happen next? Is it still, is there still growth ahead? Is there still, so we take a very calm approach. You shouldn't have to spend a lot of time thinking about your portfolio. If you own good companies, you don't have to worry about it. And do I have some speculative stocks? Yeah, we have two biotech people on our team. And when they're buying, when they're making picks that are these sort of up and coming pre-revenue companies, they're not all going to hit. But if I make small bets on a lot of them, the ones that do hit are likely to be 10 times more than the losses of the ones that don't. So I don't think about it. That's the part of my portfolio. I don't even know what the tickers stand for sometimes because I have two people on our team that I fully trust. They do the research, they follow the stock. Uh, most of what I'm into is retail and technology and things you, you know, you're more likely to understand as a regular person. But I want to ask, uh, what, how has COVID and the pandemic changed have it changed trading at the moment? And isn't a good time to invest with the current pandemic as, uh, as in stocks? It's a great time to invest, but there are also a lot of people who are at home bored that are treating the stock market like a casino. And I think it's kind of the worst case scenario because so many bad stocks, stocks where fundamentally the business is terrible, uh, have done really well. So I liken it to you go to a casino and you've never played roulette before. Roulette is a terrible game of chance. There, the, it is all on the casino side. So like I play blackjack. If you play blackjack well, you can turn the odds slightly in your favor. I'm very, very slightly. So it's not like you're going to make all sorts of money, but you can play for a long time. Just don't play the cars. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 you know, even if you just play correctly, you're only down about 2%. Roulette, the odds are terrible. But let's say you put $100 on eight and eight hits and they hand you whatever it is, $2,000, $3,000. You're like, oh my God, gambling is easy. This is how it goes every time. Well, it's not how it goes every time. So if you were someone who bought AMC stock, a terrible company before the pandemic, movies were in a lot of trouble. That company wasn't doing well. It's not going to recover. You bought that because somebody on Facebook told you to, and it goes up 200% and you're smart enough to sell, not ride it out because all those people lost a ton of money, then you feel like a genius. Well, that's not how the stock market works. In the long term, your advantage is identifying really good companies and understanding those businesses. So I'll give another example. Right now, a ton of people are really into Fubo, which is a streaming service. 
Well, if you understand the streaming market, you would understand that there's almost no margin in reselling television. You don't own the product. They only have 500,000 subscribers. The market leader, Sling TV, has about 4 million subscribers. You can't make money till you're at like 30 or 40 million. And everyone goes, oh, no, 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 no. They're going to have sports betting because their commercials say they have all sorts of sports. Well, again, I study the industry. They have no exclusive sports. If they ever tried to get exclusive sports, Disney would pull ESPN and you can't be a sports service without ESPN. And this idea that they're going to layer on sports betting, so is Disney. So is Comcast, so is everyone else. Sports betting as part of your television platform is something that's coming. So a lot of stocks get these crazy momentum right now because people don't understand the story. So we're gonna talk about GameStop today. And pre this whole crazy run up of GameStop, there was a bull case for GameStop. You could make the argument back when it was at trading at whatever its lows were, you could say, okay, the management is good. They've managed capital really well. They have to really, really pivot their business but they have the ability to do that because they have mostly short-term leases. They do have some cash on hand. And I, I could argue that in five years, this is a viable retailer with a good strategy. That's the best case scenario. There was no scenario where you're like, you know what? This stock should be worth 10,000 times more than it was worth. Everything eventually in the long-term finds its level. So I'll, I'll give you one last example. Sears, a terrible, terrible dying retailer. And for years, they would report their earnings. And Sears would say, we lost $2 billion. We closed another 100 stores. But good news, women's socks trended up in the last two weeks of May by 4% and were really confident. And after that, the stock would go up. Once people dug into the results, the stock would fall by 20%. Stock markets in the short term are not predictable. In the long term, Apple put out the best earnings I've ever seen a few weeks ago, and the stock was down 4% the next day. Didn't Short term, go ahead. Yeah, didn't Elon Musk and Tesla have a problem where people were against the stock instead of favoring as well? I'm sorry, say that again? Uh, so Elon Musk and Tesla, people were trying to short stock and Tesla, and then trying to run against Tesla instead of Yeah, I... I've never shorted a stock because even things that are terrible, you can't predict where they're going to go in the short term. And Elon Musk, who I am, uh, he's a genius, but I'm not a fan of his. I, I don't own Tesla, even though it is a theoretically great company, because I do think he manipulates the stock market. That said, he's good at building public faith. So if you're betting against him, you're probably going to lose. But even if you bet against companies that are likely to fail, let's pick an obscure retailer, uh, Dillard's, which is like a Macy's style department store. Right. They're not doing well. But if you bet against them, there's no reason tomorrow that they couldn't put out a press release with some minor piece of good news. You know, uh, some minor celebrity is endorsing Dillard's and it goes up 6%. We don't recommend options. We don't recommend shorts. One, on an option, on a short, you can lose more money than 100%. If you buy a stock, if I buy a risky stock and it goes to zero, all I lost was 100%. If you buy an option, if you buy a short, you can lose more than 100%. That's really dangerous and it's really bad. It's also a level of excitement you don't need. I get it. It's not fun to buy a good company and watch it go up you know, 12% a year and beat the market by 3%. But that's how you build wealth. That's how you invest. Uh, and all of this sort of nonsense that's going on right now, it, it's happened before, it's going to happen again. 
And uh, that's, I think we're going to begin talking about game stuff now. And in the short term, a few people already decided to bet for game stuff and get a price to rise high. But was it all just for the meme and just for the most? Or was it something more behind it? So please explain what happened. So, so there's a brilliant part of it and an evil part of it. <laughs> um, so the brilliant part is there are people out there who have the time and they figured out that there was massive short interest, meaning a lot of people were betting that GameStop would go down. And if GameStop went up, those people would have to buy the stock at a higher price to cover their bets that would go down and that would drive the price up. That's technical investing. It's not something I have time for or, or energy for, but there's nothing wrong with what they were doing. They identified something. Once that happened, some people realized in this Reddit group, hey, we can manipulate this. If we get everyone to buy it, because this is not a highly traded stock, we can push this price up. And all of these people who are manipulating it, they're the ones who at some point sold. Like was they're it telling legal you, or was it illegal? It's not illegal. So telling everybody to buy a stock isn't illegal. Now, with penny stocks, this is very common. It's called a pump and dump. And what might be illegal here, or is at least unethical, is this was pitched as a big guy taking on the little guy. The hedge funds have advantages, and they do, because the more money you have, the more advantage you have. So this was a take down the hedge fund kind of thing. And yeah, it did. It cost hedge funds billions of dollars. It also made other hedge funds billions of dollars. There are plenty of hedge funds that had a bet on GameStop that it was going to do fine, or plenty of rich investors that believed the case I gave you earlier that maybe GameStop would double in five years because it does have good management and a solid board and a decent balance sheet. So this isn't this retail investor sticking it. And now we're seeing once a movement like this becomes disorganized, now it's like 20 different stocks a day and they never, so you don't know where to go. And if you're the little guy, nobody's telling you when to sell. So GameStop plummeted. It's like, I don't know, 80% off its highs or something like that. And there were a lot of paper millionaires that are now broke. And look, there are going to be suicides over this. There are people that were taking like mortgaging their house. One of the big pieces of advice we give is you never borrow money to invest. You never invest money you can't afford to lose. You never invest money you need in the next five years. So all of these people who were treating it like a lottery ticket or a game, some of them got lucky, sold out, panicked. I mean, you know, I have a story from 20 years ago where I got a stock tip before I even had a brokerage account, opened a brokerage account, put $1,000 in, sold out at 21, made $21,000, knew I wasn't a genius, didn't make another trade for a decade. Uh, you know, those people, good for them. But most people who tried to ride this to the end or thought it was some sort of social movement, it wasn't. You were being manipulated. And it's never good to buy a bad company. So if you know AMC is fundamentally not a good company, and there are a lot of people that fell into this rabbit hole of, well, they're not doing well now, but after the pandemic, they'll recover. After the pandemic, they'll do less terrible. We are going to see a change most movies aren't going to be released first in theaters. You're going to see a smaller number of theaters. And sure, Star Wars and the Avengers will get a big theatrical release. A lot of things just won't. And you're going to see uh, less theaters, a change. Maybe movie theaters will pivot to corporate meetings and, and supporting remote work or, 
who knows what, but that industry is going to struggle to survive and it may not. And yep, maybe Disney, maybe Netflix will step in and buy some theaters, but none of these things will be good for investors. We've seen a lot of terrible things happen. Do you remember, you may not have seen this where you are, but Hertz, Hertz was a bankrupt car rental company. And when you're bankrupt, there's a period where your stock still trades. And people basically went in and, and convinced idiots, I, I misguided people, let's not use idiots, misguided yeah. people to buy Hertz who didn't understand that what was almost 100% likely to happen is when the bankruptcy was approved by the judge, the individual investors would be wiped out. So there was a market of people who went, oh, this is trading cheaply. We'll tell everyone it's a great thing to be in. It'll help Hertz. It does not help a bankrupt company for people to be trading its stock. Uh, this Buy this stock. Well, the stock goes up by 50%. All the people manipulating it sell out. All the other people are like, it's going to go high forever. And then the judge comes out and says, yep, bankruptcy. There's no equity left for shareholders. And you lose all your money. I'm a big fan. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, this might be a little bit off topic, but didn't Jordan Belfort, Belfort and uh, Stratton Oakman and manipulate stocks as well all the time? So what um, was legal about that and why was this sort of legal? So I, I don't know that particular name, but the, the SEC... You know the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm sorry, say that again? The Wolf of Wall Street. Stratton uh, I, I actually haven't seen that movie. Okay. Um, but, but that being said, stock manipulation has been very, very gray and not particularly well covered. I do think we're going to see some changes from this to legality. You might see different rules about shorts. You might see changed rules about the high frequency trading. That's really where the little guy is getting screwed, where an algorithm, a hedge fund algorithm can see, okay, there's an, an eighth of a cent difference between the sale price and the settle price on this stock. I'm going to quickly trade it a billion times and make that eighth of a cent, all sorts of, that's where the little guy, you can't c compete with that. There's also some rules. Uh, so Robinhood, the much talked about stock platform where a lot of these traders were using, which sort of pitched itself as like the stock platform for the little guy, they had to shut down trading in GameStop and everyone went, yeah, oh. I want to know what, what do you think about the reaction or, of the, of the explanation that the forget his name, the leader of Robinhood had, because it seems like such a bullshit explanation. They tried to lie to the media and they tried to say, no, this is not why we did it. But what, what do you think about his... Uh, so so GameStop, if, if Robinhood didn't stop trading on, on GameStop, they would have been out of business. They, they did not have the money to cover what they were doing. What they didn't do a good job of is explaining that. So they should have said, here's the deal. We don't want to stop this but we have to go raise. And they did, they raised billions of dollars. No company raises billions of dollars to cover that it's lying for hedge funds. So they raised money that they didn't wanna raise because it's gonna hurt their ability to IPO. It's gonna hurt their valuation. And you might see a difference in, in these, and I don't understand the technical of it, but the this sort of money they're making by selling your order flow, which is not great for you, but also enables free trades, I think in the next couple of years, you might see a massive change to the idea of free trades. When you get something for free that actually costs money, it's being paid for somewhere. And with this, it was being paid for by selling your order flow. You might see something like an Amazon Prime model, where if you want unlimited trading in your E-Trade account or your Schwab account, you might have to have a $10,000 balance 
and pay them $129 a year. That won't cover the cost, but like Amazon Prime, it'll undercut the expense. I think that's some of the big change you might see from this. And the reality is the average person shouldn't be making all these trades back and forth. I mean, I, I buy things twice a month in my stock account. And, I, and I, as I said, I never sell things. So, and again, if I got to retirement, if something in my portfolio went up 10,000% and I was uncomfortable by how much of my portfolio, maybe I would sell a little. Um, I haven't been lucky enough for that to happen, so I, I don't. But the average person should be jumping in once a month or twice a month, spending whatever money they put into their account and not making 50, 60, whatever it is, trades a month. So this is kind of a false economy. And that's sort of really where the big Robinhood problem is. What do you Robin think happened, because this was a very popular decision, what do you think would happen in Robinhood after this when they decided to stop the, stop the trading? Do you think they will lose customers or do you think they will? So I would, have thought, I would have thought so, but data has actually shown that they've gained a significant amount of customers. So this falls into the any publicity is good publicity part of it, where yes, where there's some Robinhood customers that realized they'd been lied to. This was not a platform for the little guy, it was not a platform. Look, Robinhood, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but they've tried to gamify trading and it isn't a game. When they're showing you, you know, congratulations and balloons and whatever, when you make a trade, there's an enormous amount of data that the less you trade, the more money you make. Meaning if you're buying and not selling, you're going to do better. The, the place I used to work, which is a very, very vaunted, you know, massive organization, researched every stock it ever recommended over you know, 30 years and analyzed its portfolio and realized that if they had never issued a sell, they would have done better. So even if they didn't sell their clear losers, this has no chance, the times they sold things that eventually recovered or did better, more than made up for that. So Robinhood is selling people a false narrative that you make money in the stock market from gaming, from guessing, from, you know, it's, you see the little rocket ship emoji? That's not how good stocks work. Like, it, look, it can happen. You could own a biotech startup and they come out with, oh my God, we have the cure for lung cancer and it's just gone. And then yes, it's going to go up 10, but that's not normal. Now you get a you smiley know? emoji. Yeah. And look, <laughs> look Disney's going to report this afternoon. Uh, we're, we're taping this on a Thursday um, and they're going to report. And my guess is they're going to have really good Disney plus numbers. The theme park numbers are going to be a little bit better. Um, box office is going to be zero. Basically, there's a little bit in China and who the heck knows what the stock is going to do? If the Disney Plus number is incredible, would it shock me if it jumped by 25%? No. If the Disney Plus number was good, would it shock me if the stock dropped by 10%? Absolutely not. None of it matters if you're a long-term investor. And that's sort of where Robinhood has gone wrong. I would rather see people tune out all of this. A lot of the noise you get about the stock market is people who make money the more you trade. So if you're watching CNBC, they're catering to day traders and analysts. Analysts aren't looking at a stock's long-term prospects. They're looking at where it's going to go in three to six months and they benefit from making wild guesses. So like if I wanted to be on all those television channels, I would just be like, yeah, like Disney's going to drop by 50% in six months. And it doesn't matter if you're right or you're wrong. Whereas when you do what I do for a living, we have a recommendations table. And if I recommend a stock, it stays on that table forever. So if you become a subscriber, you can see, oh, 
they picked this thing three years ago and uh, it didn't do so well. Uh, and, and look at our track record, whereas most of our industry isn't accountable. Robinhood might cheer you on for making that trade. They don't hold your hand when the trade doesn't work out. That's not responsible. And I prefer a neutral platform. It's not like TD Ameritrade or Schwab or any of these other ones or E-Trade. It's not like they're giving you great advice either, but they're at least not cheering you on for doing stupid things. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what, do you know what Wall Street's reaction was? Was it panic when they, when they realized how, how much GameStop went up? So or I'm sure if you worked at one of the three or four hedge funds that had massive short bets on this, yeah, you got caught with your pants down. You were probably not particularly happy. You, people probably got fired um, because they should be analyzing too. This is overshorted. Uh, you know, you don't want to be shorting a stock that is 134% short interest. So that's the mistake they made. This has happened before. There's a stock that's actually doing really well right now, uh, Tilray, and it's doing well now for two reasons. It's being bid up a little bit by the Reddit community. It's also involved in a merger that in theory will be good for the business. I don't know the business well enough to tell you if it will or it wouldn't, but they had the same kind of thing in 2018. And the CEO came out and, and he gave advice to GameStop and he said, you have to remember that your stock price at times like this isn't your company. And the one thing that might've been good for GameStop about this is they sold a little bit of stock. So if you're a company and you see your stock overly inflated, that's an opportunity to raise money. And the problem is it's also an opportunity for insiders to cash out for, for good money to, to leave you. But there, you know, AMC raised some money during this, which might help AMC survive. Um, there's always been stock market manipulations. It usually happens on the fringes. Uh, so you'll see it right now with cannabis stocks. Um, most cannabis stocks are bad investments because it's really easy to grow marijuana. So if you're a direct marijuana play, hard to make money if you're not a brand, but it feels like it's going to be gigantic. So everyone's always looking for it. We've seen it with all these ridiculous electric vehicle companies that don't have a vehicle that may never have a vehicle. And they'll announce that they have like a partnership with some bigger company that will never turn into money. And these stocks get bid up huge. There's always manipulation. But this was the first time I've seen, at least in, in you know, my investing career, that kind of a mainstream brand. Like GameStop may not be super successful, but it's in every mall. Like no, nobody doesn't know what GameStop is. Look, I joke, I walk into GameStop every time I go to the mall to figure out what I'm gonna buy on Amazon later. Like, so it, 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 it was really well known and that brought a lot of light to it. And I do think that might put in some rules about, you know, how, but you can't, there is no intrinsic tie between valuation and how a stock trades. But don't so, you think that with everything that's online these days, and you don't even need a CD to play video games. I never use CD to play video games myself. Don't you think that GameStop is a dying business in general, that they just got a little push with this stock trade? So GameStop is a really well-managed slow death. So if you look at their business, so I just got the new Xbox and I got the Game Pass, so games I would have bought are now included in my Xbox subscription. Yeah. And if you buy a physical game, the advantage used to be, well, you can play right away. Well, if you buy a physical game now, I've never seen one that doesn't require three hours of downloads and I have a super fast internet connection and it still takes hours and hours. So what GameStop is, is in my opinion, not a viable business. Could they pivot to 
in-store gameplay and tournaments and selling merchandise and they could i don't know what that's going to look like but as a company because they, they they had the foresight it's really smart that most of their leases are one or two years all of the, the our malls in the us have become successful malls and failing malls it's really clear which are which gamestop can close its stores in the failing mall much faster than say like a macy's or some of these big stores that have 30-year leases so it's gonna be like blockbuster that's gonna die off eventually i don't know because they do have time let's pretend it's a really viable business to be selling you know t-shirts and candy bars to people who are into games yeah. they have the time to figure out a different business model now that's really tricky i, I don't know if you know radio shack but the death of Radio Shack happened in like five different stages and they tried all sorts of different pivots and none of them worked. We're seeing it with JCPenney where not right now, but the previous CEO of JCPenney uh, who now runs Lowe's had sort of really good business ideas. We're gonna add appliances. We're gonna do all the things uh, in home services that Sears did in markets that Sears is leaving. And the problem is consumers, even though there was a need for that, consumers didn't look to JCPenney. They're just like, yeah, I'm just going to go get my appliances at Lowe's or Best Buy or, or wherever it is. So you can do the right thing and still fail. But GameStop does have the time to do other things. And my guess on GameStop is it's not an investment. It's not something you want to own. Forgetting the stock price now, it's not something you want to own, but it has a chance of being a viable business. And maybe they'll go private uh, because a company that makes a small return every year might be attractive private, it's generally not attractive. Shrinking businesses tend to not do well in the stock market, but recoveries are possible. One of the stocks bid up during all this was, uh, was BlackBerry. BlackBerry for years was punished by the fact that it used to be this public facing company with phones. And then it did a really brilliant job of becoming this backend company that did software for cars and all sorts of interesting things, but nobody cared because it no longer made phones. But if you fundamentally looked at their business, it was profitable, it was really well run. So that could happen for GameStop. I'd bet against it because I have a background in retail and I don't know what the hell I would do with GameStop. Like if you told me you can go fix Barnes and Noble, I think I could do that in a month. But with, with GameStop, I have no idea what I would become. I think if you if you ask me, I think that what GameStop should do is focus on warehouse and online trade and not in stores. If that's my opinion. I think that it's the online really, sale and it's, it's really difficult. It's really difficult because built into my Xbox is a game store. So why would I go to a third party? Um, my guess is that, and you're seeing more malls. They have like, it's like filling in a dead store. It'll be a place you can go play with VR headsets and things like that. Maybe GameStop can become something like that. Or look, maybe GameStop pivots and it becomes self-serve frozen yogurt. Like they have the money to change their business. And historically- You think they should, you think they should change? I, I think they need to make a massive change. I just think they've tried a few things. Remember they were, they, they've sold this business where they were in the third party uh, wireless business. So like you could get your, your cell phone fixed and buy, they sold that business. Um, if you look at the history of US retail, there are very few second acts. Best Buy is really the only company I could think of that was really left for dead. There was a long time where, where Best Buy was a joke that you'd go into Best Buy, you take advantage of their customer service and then you'd order it on Amazon in front of your salesperson. Best Buy really massively changed its business but that's because there was still an inherent demand for what they were selling. And I know if I'm gonna buy a TV, 
I'd rather see the TV in most cases. Yeah. So yeah, once their prices stop being higher, and you know, the, the thing I would always say is, so like you buy a TV and you don't have an HDMI cable. In the early days of flat screen TVs, those weren't, there weren't 10 HDMI cables floating around your house. You're so excited to hook it up. You don't order it from Amazon. You go to Best Buy and you're like, I want an HDMI cable. They bring you one out and it's $45. And you jump onto Amazon and it's $8.50. Now, if you go to Best Buy, it's $12.50. So it's, it's more money than Amazon, but the difference isn't that big. So the convenience is worth it. That's a major, major change. It required, I mean, Hubert Jolie, the, the chairman and former CEO, was a hospitality guy. He was in the hotel industry and he just took, put a different set of eyes on the company. That's what GameStop needs to be doing. And again, they have the board of directors, they have the management that could do that. I've seen no signs, but do you, should you own this stock? Probably not because it, right now it's what we call a story stock. It's people are putting out narratives that don't reflect the actual earnings and balance sheet and what's happening with the company. It can happen to anything. I, I can't name it because it's one of our picks right now, but there's a stock that's happening to in a way that sort of benefits my personal picks. But that being said, I'm telling our members, this has been up 50%. It might go down 50% tomorrow because the reality is the story, the actual story for the stock is going to take years to play out. So what's happening this month doesn't matter. Any stock that's sort of trading like below $10 can be manipulated, you know, and that could be good, that could be bad. And, you know, this particular stock I'm talking about, if somehow the Reddit users got it up by a thousand percent, that would probably be the rare time where we would tell people to sell a good company because it's, it's very rare that you can be really sure you're going to be able to buy back into the lower price. That might be one of the times that could happen. Um, I would tune all this out. Don't get stock advice on Reddit. In fact, don't go to Reddit. It's a cesspool. Yeah. And I, I want to ask, uh, how, how do you think this will change the way we do trading in the future? Or do you think it's just going down in history as a big, one big meme, if you will? So I think it's, we're already seeing the impact of it lessening. You know, you're seeing stories on your CNBCs that, oh, this is the stock the Reddit people are manipulating. And yes, we've seen some gains in some of these marijuana stocks, but they're not gains that are really outside the normal volatility for those stocks. So I feel like this might be, do you remember many years ago, Target had a security breach and everybody freaked out like, oh my God, my credit card. And then like a month later, like one of the fast food chains had a security breach and kind of nobody cared. I think this is going to be one of those diminishing return stories where it's very hard to organize a mob. So GameStop was just kind of a lightning in the bottle thing that happens every few years. Uh, it'll happen again. I, again, I do think there will be some changes, but I think those changes will be very behind the scenes to sort of, look, you should always be able to force a short squeeze. If people are betting against a stock, you know, at, at crazy numbers, that's just someone really doing really deep analysis. That's difficult to do. That part of it was fine. But if you and I just pick a stock, pick, we pick some bad petty stock that's trading at 12 cents, and we start telling all our friends to buy it, excuse me, that's manipulation, but it's legal. If we start going online and saying, oh my God, this company has the cure for, for lupus, it's going to be the next billion, and we're lying, that's illegal. <laughs> so it's a really gray area, and people can pretend they believe in something and not, and it's impossible to prove that. So like, if I came right now and I said, I'm trying to pick a, a really struggling retailer, Macy's. 
Now you can make a bull case for Macy's, but if I, if I laid out a case where I'm like, Macy's is going to be up 10,000% because they have the future of digital tailors. They own this little piece of technology that's going to change everything. I could say that and you could never prove that I knew that wasn't true, that I didn't believe that. So this is always, it's why I tell people don't get caught up in any of this. Like if you own good companies, this doesn't matter. All of this is noise. And I, here's the people I'm happiest for. I have two friends and colleagues that we would do shows on GameStop and they believed in the company on a five-year horizon. They thought they would figure it out, they'd make some money, that the stock would double. Well, they owned small amounts of it. And when it went crazy up, I'm gonna bet you 100% they sold because they weren't betting it was gonna go up a billion percent. They were betting it was gonna be a slow, successful turnaround story. Those people, and that can happen. Maybe you own something you know, that, that you, know, you really believed in. I'll give an example. Back when Sirius wasn't Sirius XM, it was trading for two or three cents a share. I was a subscriber. I really, really believed in satellite radio. I saw the path forward and I bought a whole bunch of it and thought I was a genius when I sold at a dollar and I made a bunch of money. Well, here's the reality. It got up to much higher than a dollar and I cost myself all sorts of money by selling. But if you see something that you truly believe in, that's great, but don't buy something because some anonymous guy on the internet. I mean, you see it in every, even credible companies, Facebook groups, they can't monitor it fast enough to have people throwing out like, speculative Chinese companies. If the, if the person who's recommending a stock can't give you a detailed explanation of what they talked about during their last earnings call, don't take that person's advice. I'm just curious, what, what do you think, how do you feel personally about manipulation of stocks, just yourself? Um, it makes my job harder, so I'm not a big fan. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you're doing it for technical reasons, like if, if you are smart enough to see something technically that allows you to make a short-term trade and make money on it, I think that's great. The second you start publicizing that is when it gets really, really dicey. Um, I would prefer, I think as a country, we don't teach investing. So kids don't grow up in the US. They don't get any sort of financial literacy. They don't learn the difference between a mortgage and a car loan. They don't learn what a lease means. They don't learn any of that. And we don't teach investing. If you explain to 20-year-olds, hey, you're only making a little bit of money, but if you took 50 bucks a week and invested in the stock market, here's what it would look like when you retire. And those numbers are astounding. If you, if you start young, you can be a millionaire with much less money invested and really have a great retirement. We don't teach that to anybody. So you know, I have a 17-year-old. And, and one of the things I, I've shown him is he has, through my brother, an Acorns account, which is a... a Basically, it's a company that you can either put money in or you can, every time you make a credit card or a debit card purchase, it'll round it up and it'll take the you know, extra cents and put it in your account. And it's just a slow builder. It's not in individual stocks, but he can look at that and he could see, okay, my brother puts in $100 a month or whatever it is. So he should have $200, but he has $234 because it's gone up this much. And that really teaches the lesson that even very basic, very broad investing over the long term can, can make you money. And everyone can do that. And that's something fundamentally, and I don't know if it's a global problem, but it's certainly a US problem. We don't give people that don't make a lot of money the tools to get rich slowly. It's really hard to get rich quick. 
it's relatively easy to get rich slowly, especially if you start young. But even if you're like me and you're in your 40s and you're just starting now, well, you probably have 30 years until retirement. The stock market goes up on average of 9% a year. So even if you're in, again, that's an average. So it could be down, it could be, but over time, 9%. Even if you just buy the NASDAQ or the Dow or the S&P 500 in index funds, you should see that return. Well, and 9% over 30 years, I can't do that math, I can, it's 270%. It's a lot more money than you put in. And if you keep adding to that, that should comp compound. And look, I worry about tomorrow. I worry about, you know, hey, you know, maybe my wife or I will lose our job or that's not likely to happen. But, you know, and, and something in the long term, I don't worry at all because I'm making all the right moves. And one of the things we pride ourselves on at 7investing is we can help that, that family that's got two people working that maybe you know, gets one vacation every couple of years that they scrape up money for, that if they just take a little bit of money and invest, that they'll really see the numbers there. And that might be to pay for college, that might be for retirement, uh, but anybody can do it. But thinking like, oh, I'm gonna get a tip from some random guy, that's always a guy, uh, and, and that's gonna make me rich. That is like somebody, handing you a sheet and being like, I know who's going to win the 2034 Super Bowl. Put all your money on it. That is a bad, bad idea. It's just no back to the future. You don't have the money soon. <laughs> that is true. But yeah, uh, I thought I'm not going to lie. How I, I kind of got into it, investing last year. And then I read the book of Wall Street, which I, which I highly recommend reading and watching the movie because it's such a crazy, crazy book. And uh, yeah, that's how I got into investing. But do you have, you sort of touched on this already. Do you have an advice for someone like me who's just starting out? Yeah, so, so I mean, look, I'm gonna, I recommend people subscribe to a service like ours because we're charging $170 a year or $17 a month. And you're getting the advantage of seven people who spend all day researching stocks. But it's not, it's not just us. There, there's, a, there's where we used to work. There are a couple of other, good places that you can certainly get advice. Don't subscribe to Jim Cramer. Don't subscribe to people that are telling you to make a million trades. But even if you don't do that, so I would look around your world. The way I started becoming a serious investor is I looked and went, hey, I go to Starbucks every day. I'm paying them $5 for a coffee that can't cost them eight cents to make. This has to be a good business. And then I went and I started reading some earnings calls. And I looked at their trajectory. I looked at what I'm a big one on. What did management say they were going to do? And then the next quarter, did it happen? And if it didn't, are they addressing it? If they said, hey, we're going to add 3% more sales in uh, cake pops because we're doing this, and then they don't mention that the next quarter, that's a bad sign. If they say, oh, we did 8% more, well, that's great. If they said, oh, we only did 2% more, but that's because our cookie business was up by 15%, I want that sort of follow through. So I start with what's in my world and not everything you like is going to be a good business. A lot of people love the Popeye's chicken sandwich. I don't think Restaurant Brands International, the company that owns Popeye's and Burger King and Tim Hortons, I don't think they're a great investment in the fast food space. But once you sort of like my kid could probably tell me, hey, I bet Disney's a good investment. And you know what? He's right. <laughs> so you know, Apple, I had an iPhone. I still have an iPhone. I'm on a Mac with you right now. And when you look into Apple's fundamentals, it's hard to argue. Now, some people are going to say Apple's a $2 trillion company. Could it really become a $4 trillion company? I'd say yes. 
I don't own Apple individually because I own a re I have reasonable exposure to it through 401ks and other things that I don't control. Uh, so, but that being said, that's the great place to start. And then it's finding even our free show, even seven investing now, where we don't give you any stock picks, just hearing like we're going to on Friday show analyze Disney's earnings. Just hearing my long-term take on Disney's earnings is probably going to give you some insight that you couldn't have because you're not going to spend your day doing this. Like I will literally spend four or five hours tomorrow before the show digging through numbers and looking at trends and, and going, okay, you know, here's what happened at theme parks and, you know, they lost this much money, but how much extra are they spending on COVID abatement? And is some of the money they invested, Amazon would be a great example for this, some of the money they invested going to pay off long-term or is it just a short-term they had to buy a bunch of masks and, and, you know, and thermometers. So that's sort of where you start is finding credible sources. But I would argue that credible sources are people who think long-term, people who talk long-term. And are, are we the norm? No, <laughs> we're, we're not. Most people are into the, you know, the glitz and the glamour. And, and I get it. There are times I go to the casino where I just want to put a hundred bucks in a slot machine and not think or, you know, and not do the math of playing blackjack. But if I do that, I know I'm going to lose and I justify it because at least if I do that in the casino, I might get a free dinner out of it or, or, you know, pl playing the dumb games helps you get comps way more than in the stock market. Doing the right thing is there's no benefit to doing the wrong thing. You, you don't get a free hotel room if you bought a stupid stock or, or traded poorly, but it doesn't have to be hard. You know, just look at good companies and you probably know what they are. There's lots of hidden ones. And that's one of the things we identify is, wow, here's a company you may not be aware of that's doing really great. And here's fundamentally why. Uh, this is a very big country. So there's easily things that can be, be missed by people. But if you use a Windows computer and you think, I bet Microsoft's a good business, you know what? You're right. It's a good business. So you wouldn't recommend investing in safe companies, but even investing in safe companies and then so I tend to be a fairly conservative investor and that certainly cost me money in the, you know, the hot category right now is software as a service. And those are subscription-based models. They're, they're doing, you know, really, really well. So like before the pandemic, Zoom was a really good investment. We, we, we use Zoom, we're using Zoom now. Uh, and I saw the, the place I worked at the time used Zoom and I saw that this was going to be the technology because people would be in the building but not come to the meeting. They would zoom into the meeting. And if someone was home with the, with the sniffles, they could come into the meeting. But now you look at it and go, well, it's up 10,000%. How long is it going to take post-pandemic to justify that? Hard to know. I don't think anyone's canceling. I think they're just going to use it less. And that there's some things like, you know, like my mother's dance class is all remote. Well, post-pandemic, it's not going to be all remote but they're old people who go, who are tap dancing. Some of them are gonna be sick or some of them are gonna be home. They're not gonna get rid of that. So I think there are riskier categories that have been really good investments. You mentioned Tesla before. If you had told me Tesla would be trading for what it's trading for, I wouldn't believe you. And a lot of people would go, well, it's too high price to earnings. What, what, what seemed like too high three years ago seems like nothing now. So it's all really, really tricky. And I tend to go, okay, this, you know, I shop at Target every day. I live four tenths of a mile from a Target. I can walk to Target. I shop at Target every day. I bet Target's a good business and I dig in and it is, but is Target going to triple in the next year? No, it isn't. So there's definitely risk tolerance. Your age matters. Um, if you're 20 
and you buy, you know, 20% of your portfolio is somewhat speculative biotech stocks that, you know, need drugs to get approved, need all sorts of things to work to be successful. Well, that's different than if you're 47 and, you know, I have some small percentage of my portfolio in risky things, but I'm a little closer to the end of the road than, than some of my colleagues in their 20s are. But it's really all about you. There's quality everywhere. Um, and it's, it's how hard you want to work. If you're a subscriber to our service, I guarantee you four of the stocks every month you probably never heard of. Um, I mean, maybe not every month, but usually three or four of the stocks you've never heard of. But there's always something very stodgy that we've picked because we want to make sure our portfolio reflects that we believe that some of these companies are very good companies that aren't going to have meteoric rises, but are going to go up and up and up and up. And for some weird reason, down 20%, but then up and up and up and up. And again, I've mentioned this. If you look at this chart from Microsoft or Starbucks or a lot of different companies, Chipotle would be a huge example, uh, and pull out, you're going to see these crazy 50% dips. And in the long run, they don't matter. People ask us all the time, will the stock market crash? The answer is yes. Historically, it crashes. And historically, it recovers and goes to new heights. If you're a long-term investor, you don't have to worry about a crash unless the reason for the crash fundamentally affects the stocks you own. So if in 2008, you were heavily invested in bank stocks or real estate stocks, some of those maybe didn't recover because the reason the market crashed was because of fundamental mistakes those institutions were making. That can happen. But if Microsoft crashed 75% during that time, that doesn't reflect their business. It might reflect short-term people's willingness to spend money on computers and software and whatever it is. Um, so it just doesn't have to be as hard as people make it. I'm, I'm just, uh, I heard this. Um, I don't know if it's true. Is it true that the stocks went up on Biden? People thought Biden were going to win the presidency? So they did, but we don't put a lot of faith in who's president. Um, it gets talked about a lot. And I think one of the mistakes people make, and it's a giant mistake, right now the U.S. government is basically deadlocked. The Senate is 50-50. The House majority is very slight. So yes, Biden favors things like federal decriminalization and banking rights for cannabis companies. Not legalization, but sort of more normalization. He favors electric vehicles, but he's not going to come out tomorrow and be like, the entire U.S. is going to be all electric vehicles by 2025. So all he might be doing is if we had a Republican controlled government, maybe it would take 25 years until these changes happen. Maybe with the slightly Democratic controlled, it'll take 20. But investing based on sort of like, there's not going to be massive uh, you know, moves against big tech. You might see a little bit more regulation for say Facebook and privacy and data. You might even see Facebook have to sell Instagram. Well, that's probably good for Facebook shareholders. It's, it's, it's hard to know, but unless you have extreme control of the government, which doesn't tend to happen in the US, we've generally had a divided government, it's not gonna matter that much. And it's one of those things that people who don't know what they're doing put a lot of faith into. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you've seen the rush into cannabis stocks. And then we saw in Canada where it's fully legal that that hasn't made a lot of companies money. The, the money's been made by, you know, the company, you know, Shopify has done well because they provide, you know, the, the online presence for these things. Scott's miracle Grow has done well because they've catered to, to that business. Uh, the actual people who sell the leaf 
hasn't changed that much. So I avoid those sorts of stories. And look, there's global unrest. Um, there are definitely some more favorable things about owning stocks based in China with Biden as president than with Trump as president. But that doesn't mean that some of those stocks are great investments. Some of those stocks are exposed to significant government risk. So there's a lot you can't predict. I mean, I, I don't particularly own any direct Chinese stocks because the government could step in at any time. On the other hand, the government in China could in theory step in and nationalize Starbucks. Now that's not gonna happen because they need global investment, but there's risk with everything. And I, I don't put a lot of faith in what the government does. It generally doesn't matter. Historically, stocks have done better under democratic presidents, um, but who knows what the reason for that is or if it really, you know, the, the assumption would be lower taxes under a Republican president. Uh, I've seen a lot of people, oh, Biden's gonna raise all your taxes. That's gonna tank the market. No, he's not. He's gonna raise taxes for people who make a ton of money. You know, who can afford to pay more taxes? People who make a ton of money. It's, it's, not, it's not going to impact the average guy. Look, I got a pretty decent tax cut under Trump. I didn't need that tax cut. I'm happy to get it. Thank you. Um, did I invest more of that money in the market? Sure, a little. Did I buy some more stuff? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, before we go, do you have anything you promote on social media where people can find you? Yeah, a a absolutely. So I am super active on Twitter. I am at Worst Ideas 7. Um, anybody can direct message me. I have to approve it, but I'll see it. So if you have a good question, I'll answer it. I cannot provide individual investing advice. If you ask a good question, I tend to tell you I'm going to respond to it on our show. Um, but we put up lots of fun stuff. Our, our, our company account is at seven investing. That's the number seven investing. And you can of course find all about us on seveninvesting.com. I think it's the best $17 a month you can spend. Uh, we also allow anyone who joins, we give them a referral code. And for every person they recommend us to who joins, they get a free month. So we have users that have five years free. We have, so, you know, it, it, it's really exciting. We're a small company, we're a startup. We started a year ago, almost a year ago to the day. We're a few weeks away from our anniversary. And our goal is to build with our members. So we do a new member call every month where you can ask us the most basic questions about our site or how to invest. And then we do a call every month that's just our members. It might be hundreds of people in a Zoom where people ask us all the things they worry about. Hey. I own this and it's up 20%, should I sell? Or geez, I see that this piece didn't play out for this company yet. And we really give that one-on-one -on -one support. It's really why we started. Like, again, we can't give you individual investing advice, but we could give our opinion on, on certain things. And we really try to do it on a personal level. We, we answer every question unless there's a legal reason we can't. Right. Now, this has been World.H12. Well, my guest has been Dan Klein. It's been a fantastic episode. And uh, I'm gonna put all the links in the description if you send me afterwards. We are on social media and on Twitter, Instagram, not Twitter, sorry, <laughs> yeah, at, at world.h12. And uh, you can find us on YouTube, Spotcast, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever most po podcasts exist. This has been world.h12. My name is Alan. I'll see you next time. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 